0: Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how's it going? It's going great today, Tim. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you for asking. Hope everyone out there is doing well as well. Today, Lance, we are talking about a disappearance case that is not from private investigations for the missing, which is the nonprofit that we are on the board of, founded by Bruce Maitland. Uh, No, in fact, today we are talking about the disappearance of Jack Donald Lewis as covered on the Tiger King documentary on Netflix.
1: Yes, this is um, something that I personally was not that familiar with. Of course, I did see season one of Tiger King. I knew of Don Lewis. I really, for whatever reason, didn't jump on the Tiger King bandwagon. Um, Perhaps that's a mistake of mine. Uh, Culturally, maybe I should have started uh, a little bit earlier on that. But it was interesting to sit and be a part of this conversation uh, because yourself and Jen, you two knew a whole lot more about this so i i I really felt like i was a grateful outsider hearing some things for the first time and opening up uh you know the part of your brain that you don't typically open when you've just heard something over and over and over again and you kind of lose track of the details. so it was refreshing i walked away from this conversation with a completely different perspective on tiger king carol baskins and uh don lewis
0: you know In this show, Lance, where we cover uh, serious cases all the time, this, this one is a little bit less serious. We sort of have no responsibility to it. That's not to say there isn't a real missing person out there, but a lot of the cases we do cover, we sort of have a responsibility to as far as the nonprofit private investigations for the missing goes. So this one was kind of an interesting conversation that we had, not only about Don's disappearance, but about the culture surrounding the Tiger King documentary and Carol Baskin.
1: And having that mindset, like you just said, not having that personal connection to it, to a disappearance, just opens you up to explore the, the the possibilities a little bit more.
0: Right. And I don't know, just from my perspective, it doesn't seem like he's the victim of foul play. Of course, I don't know, but maybe that's one other reason why I kind of feel the same way. Anyway, we'll get into it. You'll hear all about it. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. If you have any information, please contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office at 1-800-873-8477. And for
1: anybody who wants the case details on Jack Donald Lewis, you can go to thecharlieproject.org slash case slash Jack Donald Lewis, and you'll be able to find him. He has been missing since... August 18th of
0: 1997, from Tampa, Florida. He would be in his 80s today at the time of this recording. He is 5'10, about 170 pounds. So, if you see an elderly man walking around Costa Rica or somewhere in South America with big cats, perhaps that is Don Lewis. Submit a tip if you can. There are links in the show notes. Welcome back to The Missing Podcast. Jennifer Amell, how are you today?
3: I'm doing great. There's lots of snow here in Vermont. I'm nestled in to my new hatch, new-ish hatch, and I'm excited to discuss our case today.
1: Well, this is an unusual case for us because of the level of awareness and the level of visibility that it has. And we're we're speaking about the the disappearance of Jack Don Lewis. And most people are aware of this if they've watched a couple of episodes of Tiger King. And we don't typically go down uh, these paths with um, celebrity disappearances pretty much ever.
3: Yeah, we tend to cover those cases that don't get a whole lot of media attention. Um, But we thought that this case was worth discussing because it is kind of a cultural moment right now. And as we were kind of talking off mic about this, um, it's it's kind of less about delving into the disappearance of Don Lewis and more about maybe examining why we think his wife, his ex-wife Carol Baskin, had something to do with it.
1: And speak for yourself, but nothing's off mic
0: for me. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so this episode we're going to be talking about Don Lewis and uh, the Tiger King documentary a little bit. Um, Specifically, uh, season two, episode two. They really dove into um, Don's disappearance, and uh, as I was watching it, it just it it seemed like really interesting to discuss. It seemed like one of those cases that it had at least two or three viable pathways you could go down and explore if this happened, this might have happened as well, you know, and you can kind of look at the most likely scenarios, I think. And really, it just seems like a fun knot to untangle. And I understand uh, there's a missing man here.
1: Those are great points. And also to Jen's point, I think it it comes together with the fact that uh, Carol has been uh, painted to be this villain in the whole thing, painted to be this uh, very sweet person on the outside, but diabolical. (laughs) <laughs> on the inside and approaching it from that angle as well, uh, kind of speaks to the, the culture, the, the, the mindset of those who, um, have watched and binged Tiger King, uh, season one and season two. I mean, that was just a perfect thing to come along right at the time of a pandemic where people needed something to get them by. And I think a lot of people latched onto that concept that, uh, while Joe exotic was this, fun interesting potentially dangerous character but his sort of lovability in spite of himself or or despite himself was what made him endearing where they needed a villain and she became the villain for the most part in season one and then you find out all these
0: things yeah i do find that so weird as well joe exotic is in prison right now as we record this and carol baskin is free Mm -hmm. and running her own you know tiger zoo and uh you're right. You're right. Carol is made made out to be the villain. And and there are people trying to free Joe Exotic for for what he did, which was basically try to hire somebody to uh, potentially kill Carol Baskin, not to mention the um, animal um, crimes that he's broken. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's incredible that he's in prison charged with hiring somebody to murder her. And and he's he's not the ultimate villain. There are other villains in that show.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking to the cultural relevance of this moment, I think like you saw a lot of people on social media dressing up as Joe Exotic, and uh, you know, and then anytime someone would try to do the Joe Exotic accent, it's like Carol Baskin you know like that's that's where you go first in this cultural moment you know so it moves so far away from like the actual crime to like oh the entertainment of look at this guy running around with the tigers he's so crazy and wild and he's talking about how carol baskin did this and did that And it just it just became fun for people. People dressed up as him for Halloween.
3: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to say about why something like this happened. But I feel like we should go through the facts of Don Lewis's disappearance and then maybe uh, we'll get into um, the cultural discussion of this case. So. Don was married to a woman named Gladys Lewis, and in 1981, this is when he met Carol. He was still married to his first wife, and he raised four children with her. But during this marriage, Don had multiple affairs with other women, um, including a 10-year affair with Carol before he finally divorced Gladys.
0: Okay, so I guess you could take something there from uh, from both of their characters, um, I-, I suppose that's... Uh sort of a not a great thing to do to your first uh, spouse, obviously. And in 1991, Don married Carol, and they established Wildlife on Easy Street near Tampa, Florida, which is an animal sanctuary for tigers and other exotic animals. But Don and Carol frequently argued over the mission of the sanctuary, and Don wanted to breed and sell big cats while Carol wanted to rescue them.
1: It is such a sticky situation. Anytime you're dealing with something like this, she wants to rescue big cats. He wants to breed them. There's way more money in breeding and selling them, but you can also make some money if you have your your sanctuary and you're rescuing them and you're taking care of them. But overall, like, what a what a very – and I feel like we're kind of – I don't want anyone to think that we're Johnny-come-latelys to the whole thing because we just have never talked about Tiger King before, but it's still relevant today. And it's fascinating in, in my mind that you can find like-minded people who come together and say – this seems like a logical thing to do and and she's super successful at it but i don't know anyone in my life if i ever pitched this idea like do you want to go into business rescuing and putting on display giant cats exotic cats like endangered cats most people in my life would be like no no that's that is is
0: way too much
3: speak for yourself everyone in my life would be down (laughs) well
0: yeah carol's really committed to uh to the lifestyle um, also, her her YouTube videos. I mean, she makes she makes YouTube videos talking about this every day. I'm pretty sure uh, for years. Um, so this is uh, this is definitely a lifestyle or identity even for Carol.
3: Yeah, I think in like the expansive universe of the Tiger King um, series, they've really highlighted that owning big cats, whether it's for breeding or for rescue, is really a passion. And this like crazy subculture that creates these like epic kind of characters but i think it definitely speaks to the character traits um, of don and carol where don was kind of in it for the money i mean i'm sure he was passionate about animals and and loved them and in in his own way but it really was to make money in the long run whereas carol kind of had this more moral mission in
0: mind and on august 19th 1997 carol reported don missing and his van was found at a small remote airport about a half an hour away from the couple's home. And the keys were reportedly still in the van. And Don possessed an amateur's pilot license and flew a small plane called the Piper Arrow. And uh, there were some stories in in Tiger King about his uh, flight history, if you will. That he had actually crashed uh, several planes and had his license revoked. Um, but still flew planes, so I guess at this time he he did not have' an, have a license i'm not I'm not really sure, but they say in Costa Rica that uh you can still fly uh under a thousand feet and stay off the radar
1: I mean, do you know how much money it takes to and time it takes to do that to get a pilot's license?
3: Yeah, it's really extensive.
1: when is he finding time to do this that's that's a pretty pretty irrelevant point that I'm making here, but I mean, that's thousands and thousands of dollars and thousands of hours.
0: Yeah, he was a very wealthy man. He, I think, had up to around $20 it was speculated.
3: So along with this pilot's license, people speculated that Don had taken off from this small airport and flew himself somewhere along with another person. Um, And there was a rumor reported that while flying, Don was actually strangled and tossed out of his own airplane. Although who may have been with him in the plane and indeed who had reason to murder him remains a mystery. There's no rumor circulating about who it might have been in that airplane. But uh, there was actually a 48 hours correspondent. His name was Richard Schleisinger and he's also an amateur pilot. And Richard said that it was nearly impossible to open a, uh, a plane door in uh, the type of plane called a, a Piper Arrow, it was impossible to open this door in mid-flight because there was hurricane-force like winds pressurizing the cabin door. So it would be really, really hard to open that door and you know push somebody out.
0: Yeah, that is a weird rumor to um, sort of get out there because you would have to imagine that it's just a rumor, or the person who did it um, spread the rumor. You know, which I don't know. I that, that could be.
3: I mean, wouldn't there have to be like some kind of record, like if his plane was missing and if it landed anywhere, where did that plane end up?
0: That is mentioned in uh, in Tiger King um, season two, episode two. They they talk about that. And I guess there's there's just not records kept like you would expect with uh, with the FAA or whatever here in America. It's just not like that when you're flying small planes in uh, Costa Rica.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. It was the 90s too, which is the Wild West.
1: Before before 2001, it was pretty loose. After 2001, they probably tightened up the restrictions, but I'm not sure about Costa Rica. But yeah, unfortunate because you would have a, a pretty direct course that you could follow. And, and if, if records were kept, you would put your name down, your passengers' names down, and where you took off from the time and then when you, where you landed. So it would be pretty much a no-brainer if you took off with Don Lewis and you landed without Don Lewis, the
0: pilot. And around the time of Don's disappearance, Trish Farr Payne, who was married to Don and Carol's handyman named Kenny Farr, came forward with an interesting story. Trish said she recalls Kenny coming home two days before Don was reported missing, driving Don's van, and the van was full of Don's extensive gun collection.
1: I, this just adds another layer to Don. Now, you know, you got the aviation, He's he's got an extensive gun collection, so he's found time to educate himself in, in in weaponry now, and now someone else might have access to all of these guns?
0: And reportedly, Kenny said to his wife, quote, Don's gone, and I don't want you talking about him, end quote. And Trish also remembers a large freezer appearing on their porch around this time, and she noted that it vanished about a week later.
1: So this is just a, just a recipe for disaster here. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't know about this freezer. I find that really interesting. I mean, along with the gun collection and stuff. But like, if a giant freezer appeared on your porch, like, wouldn't you have more questions? It's like, what's in the freezer? Would you look in the freezer? Or Would you just be like, "Huh," a large freezer is there, and not ask any questions until it like disappears mysteriously?
1: I guess if you're married to somebody like Kenny, you probably don't want to look in the freezer. <laughs> And, and allegedly she had said during a fight with Kenny that he threatened her and said, if you try to leave me again, I'll put you in the grinder like I did to Dawn. I don't know if that means like the wood chipper or like meat grinder that they might use for for the for the wild cats.
3: Yeah, I imagine that they might like put meat through a grinder to feed the cats. But um yeah, I don't know what kind of grinder she's talking about here, but that's certainly a, a threat.
0: And apparently Kenny contacted 48 Hours Suspicion and said that Trisha's story is an outlandish lie, and he denies having any involvement with Dawn's disappearance.
3: Yeah, who knows? I mean, we only have uh, Trisha's perspective on this thing. I mean, it's kind of a he said, she said. There's no real evidence that Kenny had anything to do with it.
0: Right. There was a former housekeeper named uh, Sandra in the... um. Tiger King documentary, and she claimed that her signature was forged on, um, on some papers in the house. So that that's interesting. Um, sort of another thing to add to this as a little bit of smoke in this direction.
3: Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Like what papers was, was her signature forged on?
0: She said a bunch of papers in the, um, in the documentary. And she also said his will, Don's will, apparently. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that I mean, that's very suspicious, someone's name being forged on a will. I don't know if it's true or not. Obviously, we can't confirm it in the documentary, but um, mm-hmm. that's some more smoke in that direction again.
3: Yeah, definitely. And then uh, about five years later, after Don disappeared, this brings us to 2002, Carol had her husband uh, declared legally dead. I think this is uh, an appropriate amount of time to pass before Carol moves on with her life and her business. Uh, what do you guys think? Is that above suspicion?
0: Yeah, to me. And um, I guess we'll get into more of the sort of uh, possibilities um, in a little bit here. But uh, it seems like obviously Carol was married to him. If she knows she didn't do it, then she would believe that he was probably out there somewhere. You know what I mean? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I, I actually don't think it's suspicious at all. Unless she had something to do with it, which we'll get uh, we'll go down that path a little bit later.
1: And, and am I am I misremembering uh, that most states require a seven year period before you can declare somebody legally dead?
3: I think you're right, Lance. Um, I think um, I don't know if it's written in stone in every state or if it's federal law or anything, but most commonly seven years have to elapse until someone is given a presumption of death.
1: Okay, well, I mean, I can see why there could be some suspicion cast on her for declaring him dead as soon as she possibly can and probably contributed some uh, information that might suggest that he was definitely dead. Like he was, you know, the, the aviation he had crashed before he just took off, you know, maybe something that could add a factor to like, okay, this guy's probably dead so we can go ahead and declare him dead.
3: Yeah, agreed. And probably from Carol's perspective, like she was in an unhappy marriage too. And I'm sure that she was in this limbo legally and professionally after Don's disappearance. Mm -hmm. So her, I guess, need to get this declaration of death before the seven years has elapsed was mostly because She wanted to remarry. She remarried Howard Baskin and she changed her and Don's business, Wildlife on Easy Street, to what we now know as Big Cat Rescue through the Tiger King documentary. And Carol's sole mission became rescuing big cats and speaking out against the private breeding and selling of exotic wildlife. And this is when her feud with Joe Exotic, the subject of that documentary, uh, became quite public. And if Carol
1: marries... Tim Robbins and keeps her Baskin name she'd be Carol Baskin Robbins <laughs> and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors
2: do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador how the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s or well, what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos I'm Sean Williams and I'm Danny Golds and we're the hosts of the Underworld podcast We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places.
0: And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world.
2: We know this stuff because we've been there, we've seen it, and we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field, and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it.
0: The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And in uh, in the Netflix episode uh, there, they spoke with a different ex of Carol's, a guy named Alan Schreer, I think. And uh, he said that he met her, I guess, around the time of um, Don's disappearance. And when he started talking to her and asked about her, like who she is, she said, well, you can... Uh, you can check me out in People Magazine. I'm going to be in People Magazine, and she was in People Magazine, but it was about um, her husband's Don's disappearance. Um, so that that seemed a little peculiar to me that she, you know, almost um, in a bragging way said, "Look at the publicity I'm getting." Or maybe she couldn't think of anything else besides um, her husband's disappearance. That's a possibility too. But they interviewed Alan's son Todd as well, and. Um, He said that it was sort of known around Carol that just don't talk about Dawn. And he he was quoted as saying, she doesn't care about people. She cares about cats. And uh, so both of them kind of could see um, Carol having something to do with it. Alan actually sort of goes as far as saying that in uh, the Tiger King documentary.
3: Yeah. Listen, I I mean, there there's really no evidence pointing to carol's involvement in don's disappearance but she definitely has motive if that's what you're trying to say and if you're like looking at her attitude toward her ex-husband and uh maybe uh kind of weighing that against her mission to rescue these big cats like she definitely cared about tigers more than anything in her life and she definitely is uh no stranger to the limelight, that little anecdote of her telling someone she was dating to check her out in people magazines, like this is a woman who, who likes to be the center of attention. I mean, just look what she she does with her life. I mean, you said she posts a YouTube video like every day. She's made her private diaries completely public. She's read them aloud on YouTube videos. It's um, not a crime, right? To To enjoy that kind of attention.
1: I can uh, understand that. I can um, also try to counter it a little bit and say in 97, maybe she had a different perception of what it was like to have fame and she did enjoy her job and she might have really loved Don even though they were going through some difficulties and it might really hurt her if uh, he disappears and she doesn't know where he is. She starts dating somebody new. Maybe that comment was just a way to get it out of the way. Like, I I don't want to talk about it again. Uh, it 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 kills me to talk about it. Check me out in People magazine. Mm-hmm. I talked about it with people. You know, it's just sort of like get that out of the way. And I know a lot of people that like animals more than people. And they're not killing. As far as I know, they haven't been suspected of murdering somebody or making someone disappear.
3: Yeah, you're totally right. That might have just been like a an off-color joke, too, on Carol's part. I mean, she is an eccentric person. She's a little bizarre. And I mean, I enjoy that about her, actually, that she is so bizarre (laughs) and she dresses like only in cat prints and stuff but like I think that's a that's a larger point to make about the documentary Tiger King the first one that came out because Joe Exotic is presented as this like super eccentric dude like he lives a crazy life he dresses in chaps he's a gay cowboy like people just really latched on to that eccentricity and loved him because of it but when A woman, when Carol is presented as an eccentric character, they're like, oh, because she's so weird, she must be guilty of something like she's not allowed to just be this kind of weird person, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, I think it speaks to her um, likability a little bit in the documentary. And some of that has to do with editing and the filmmaking, you know, and we know that as, uh, you know, folks who have made some documentaries and things like that. And people seem to like Joe uh, more, as we kind of talked about in the beginning. Um, I don't really get it personally. I don't. I don't really like anyone on the on the show. Uh, I think they're all pretty uh, <laughs> awful. Um, you know, it, it's. I guess it's also not like a great trait, maybe for most people to like. Oh, you're very fame hungry or whatever. You know, I think that sort of wears on people after a while, but. Overall, I kind of agree, I, you know, like I'm not watching the show because these people are boring. I'm watching it because they're eccentric.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's um, kind of important to spell out exactly what the bedrock of this um, accusation against Carol was. And this all stemmed from um, Joe Exotic. So Joe Exotic was this, you know, breeder and seller of big cats. And then because Carol was against this breeding and selling of big cats, she was attacking Joe Exotic um, for animal mistreatment, that sort of stuff. So Joe decided to fight back. And what he decided to fight back with was to discredit Carol by vaulting accusations that Carol had murdered her husband, Don, and fed him to her tigers. And this, of course, became... A viral accusation. And I don't think the documentary did anything to help this accusation from affecting like Carol's life and business because she became like the subject of so many online attacks and somewhat of an American villain, I would say.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a conversation we could have maybe in, in a different place, whether it benefited her <laughs> uh, her business or not. Because uh, you could probably argue both sides of that. I know there was some uncomfortability, obviously, about this accusation. And I'm sure about the people uh, online who, you know, sort of write about her or talk about her. Like one person who's in the documentary who she calls a troll. uh, His The guy's name is Ripper Jack. He is uh, sort of a controversial YouTuber. That's not a troll name. (laughs) (laughs) And I... I do think it's interesting to sort of discuss um, what would have happened or what might have happened if, um, you know, what J- Joe's claims are kind of completely absurd. I, I, maybe I'll just start there because for her to have fed Dawn to the Tigers, I mean, that would make a, an absolute mess. The Tigers would be completely covered in blood. If she just fed a person to tigers, you know, like, I, I suppose if she ground them up, that would be a different story. But that's not exactly what Joe Exotic said.
3: Yeah, the DNA would be everywhere. And I think by 97, DNA was a thing that was in the zeitgeist, right? Yeah. Because of the O.J. Simpson trials.
1: Yeah, and that, that was right when it happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking the, the mid-90s. That's exactly when DNA started becoming relevant in uh, criminal cases. Right. But, you know, perhaps... Perhaps you kill somebody, you uh, let the blood do a little hack job on them piece by piece. you're nice and neat and clean about it. Perhaps you've frozen them so that you can get you know not a lot of uh, blood spillage there. Maybe you dexter out your place.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't even want to entertain what it would take to like chop up Don's body and feed it to tigers. That that's just like clearly from the mind of Joe Exotic. He's like, oh, this would be sensational. She has tigers. You could totally feed a body to tigers.
1: Well, and so obvious, right? <laughs> your 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 enemy, someone who's your nemesis. You need something against them. Mm-hmm. Lucky for you, her husband's missing. Lucky for you, she's got a bunch of big cats. Hmm. I wonder what rumor you're going to start.
3: Yeah, like what's the first thing you would do if you had an enemy and you were trying to find dirt on them? Like, oh, their husband disappeared. I'm going to accuse them of murdering them. Like that's the first yeah. skeleton you would go to. Yeah,
1: I I got I have I have plans on the two of you that I've been <laughs> putting into place for years just by having you be, you know, true crime podcasters. I mean, look at all the stuff you've learned.
3: (laughs) Look at all the stuff on our search engines. Exactly. (laughs) I think there's also something to be said about the filmmaker who made the first Tiger King and um, obviously the the second and third installments. But when he was just kind of chilling with Joe Exotic for however many months it took to film what he did... I feel like Joe Exotic and a lot of these other characters that we get to, to meet in the documentary are kind of cult figures in their own right, because especially in Joe Exotic's case, because he just like had this group of people who kind of worshipped him um, at his little zoo and because, and, and Joe Exotic, he is compelling. He's funny. He's likable, as you said before. And I imagine spending that much time with him would make the filmmaker, Eric Good, kind of in, endeared to Joe Exotic. And I think in some way, Eric joined Joe Exotic's cult and made a documentary that came out of that framework, you know? And because it was made through that perspective of being endeared to Joe Exotic. America became endeared and joined Joe Exotic's cult. What do you guys think?
0: I think it's an interesting theory. I mean, I think there's enough distance um, with with all the characters uh, that... You know, I wouldn't say that the filmmaker was in Joe's court um, completely. You know, I mean, he doesn't make him look great. Uh, He went to prison afterwards. Um, I think I think the filmmaker probably knew exactly what he was getting out of Joe Exotic and the rest of these people completely eccentric people. I'm sure he didn't know the cultural relevance that this story was going to have.
3: Yeah, I'm just trying to trace like why Carol became such a, a villain, you know? And I think it was because the story was presented through the eyes of Joe Exotic.
0: Well, it's a conspiracy, right? Like, you can just roll it into conspiracy culture, too. Like, Joe created this conspiracy, basically, that doesn't have really any evidence behind it. It just has some, like, oh, look over there. That could be considered circumstantial evidence if she had something to do with it. But probably not.
1: I'm going to go down a path that stop me if it's uh, but I'll I'll try to be very concise about it I think a lot of it goes back to the perception uh, of Carol that the country had and Jen you kind of said it before about her being a woman and I think that there was a perception about Women in power that people just didn't like, and we had just gone through an election with Hillary Clinton, and she was repeatedly viciously attacked for for years, uh, despite being incredibly qualified to to run the country. And I feel like a lot of people's mindset was still in that position, or still like framed in that way. When you see a character like Carol Baskin, who created her own success, seemed to—I don't want to say this in a bad way, but she. Once she got bored with with her significant other, she would she would divorce him. She would go on to another. You know, she she was her own woman, and I feel like there was probably a mindset that maybe some people subconsciously had and they didn't realize it that she was going to be the villain no matter what.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I I don't want to say that like a woman who owns her own business and does what she wants is like without fault. I mean, women are as complex as as men are but i find it interesting that we have this woman whose sole mission is to like save tigers and we emerge out of this story by being like well she's the worst (laughs) like how can that not be misogyny
0: yeah i'm with you there's definitely a level of misogyny here but she is making money
3: so what she's not allowed to make money like, that's not a crime.
0: I'm not faulting her for that. I'm just saying you you keep focusing on all these rescues that she does. I don't really see the evidence of that. I don't know.
3: Big cat rescue?
0: Maybe I should look into it more, which brings me back to my point about uh, what Joe Exotic said in Conspiracy Culture. Like, most people don't look too deeply into things. They hear mm-hmm. this woman uh, might have fed her husband to the tigers, and they're like, oh, wow, that there's some smoke there. You know, and mm-hmm. they, they just don't go any further. Or learn too much about how mysterious Don was which sounds like he had a lot of darkness in him and he was incredibly mysterious Mm -hmm. uh carol went as so far to say that Don threatened to poison all the cats with antifreeze at one point um before he went missing soon before he went missing and they, they were about to get a divorce it appeared um as confirmed by uh Don's daughters and he was he was flying his plane to Costa Rica a lot and doing what appeared like some shady dealings down there with um, bringing animals down there also bringing money uh, down there in crates Um, apparently like over millions of dollars in in cash he would bring down there Um, one person they interviewed said that Don asked this fellow to move this trailer because that was where he hid like tens of thousands of dollars or more underneath the trailer, you know, back to how eccentric he is. But um, also Don's daughters said that he told them that she's not getting a dime. Th- that was a quote apparently. So he was m- moving money away from the United States in order to keep it from Carol Baskin when he gets divorced.
3: Yeah, I think um, the the threat to kill all of the tigers too was also kind of a power move because he knew that Carol cared most deeply about the cats that were in their care. So I think like he was just trying to not let Carol have anything, no money, no assets, no cats.
1: And he's a pretty well-connected man, right? When he's in Costa Rica... He knows people, right? You have to be. If, you, if you're flying your own plane down there, uh, you have the confidence to move crates of money, cash, crates of cash. He's probably in some bed and breakfast in Montezuma or something, like, like on the beach.
0: Yeah, he was moving a bunch of money around down there. Um, apparently, they, they thought he was going to try to, I guess, have a, an animal farm down there and open that, um, but that never happened. Um, And also there was a fellow in the documentary who said there was a CIA investigation into Don um, that was ongoing, Um, maybe having to do with the money he was moving. I don't know.
1: He was a podcaster.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There was also a part in the documentary where there was a, a document from Homeland Security that was brought out, and and there was a redacted name who apparently investigated his case, said that he is alive and well in Costa Rica. Which is not
1: surprising. Um, To answer the question about how he made his money, they had some real estate investments. He... Bought and sold scrap metal, I believe at, at one point. And even though that sounds like it doesn't bring in a lot of money, like people spend a lot of money for scrap metal. Uh, but you know, real estate—they probably they probably flipped a few homes and and you know acquired a few million dollars that way. He had a bunch of businesses.
0: Yes, and he had had several set um, set up down there. Um, apparently above the board, but never really got to run those companies. He had brought money down there and put them in. I guess
1: now let me ask you a question: If you're in his position and you, for whatever reason, do not want to be around Carol Baskin and you here you're in Costa Rica, you're running your 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 bed and breakfast, you're living the life on on you know your days include walking on the beach and drinking wonderful Costa Rican coffee and speaking with the wonderful people there. And you start to hear rumblings that oh, people think that your ex-wife murdered you and fed you to the tigers. You you might want to help out with this. What would you do? W- would you be like, hmm, I, I got my I got my crates of cash. I'm barefoot. I'm on the beach. I Didn't want to be with her in the first place. Seems like she's getting some celebrity out of this. Would you go
0: back? Would you Would you say anything? It seemed like their relationship was pretty bad. Um, it seemed like they really hated each other at the end.
3: He doesn't owe
1: the world anything at that point. He's just hanging out.
3: Yeah, that's true. I also think that, like, it might cause some legal trouble for him if he were to return. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Probably. <Really? laughs>
1: Probably. And it's, it, it. you know, if someone finds out his true identity, it's going to toss him like 10 grand. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. Here's 10 grand. Don't tell anybody I'm here.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, he was apparently moving around a lot of cash, I guess, illegally too, potentially bringing some of that money in. He was also illegally bringing animals in. Um, so those are those are two things that he's doing that he needs help with um, that not all that is above the board. So you're working with people who are comfortable in darker scenarios um, or potentially illegal scenarios and that that raises the possibility that some harm is going to come to you. And we haven't even started talking about prostitution yet. And we have not. <laughs> <laughs> also covered in the documentary. Apparently, Don had a uh, a girlfriend who Carol even met up on one of her visits who was 15. That is um, obviously underage. And, um, you know, it, it, we don't even probably have to mention it, but it's it stated in the documentary, you know, that doing that is something that could get you killed. A Costa Rican girlfriend. Yes, 15 year old.
3: Yeah, there were also reports of like many young girls coming to his property. Um, he would have parties, he would entertain. It seems like this is hinting at kind of a flop house situation.
0: And Don Lewis's family, his daughters, um, have been working with a civil rights lawyer out of Tampa. His name is John Phillips. And uh, this is John Phillips, has also um, paired up with this Ripper Jack. Uh, fellow from YouTube and so they've kind of um, sort of tried to reinvigorate the investigation into Carol um, sort of specifically. I will say it you know in reading between the lines with law enforcement statements it seems like there's a lot of smoke in Costa Rica. Um, There's a law enforcement fellow who's interviewed in the documentary and he said that he cannot talk about anything having to do with uh, Costa Rica. Um, other than he owned property there and the case is still open. Um, Honestly, it sounded like to me that there's a lot going on there. And again, the Homeland Security fellow said he was alive and well down there. Mm -hmm. So again, like when you look into this a little bit, it doesn't seem like Carol did anything to Don.
3: Yeah, it seems like Don had this whole other life going on in Costa Rica. And I mean, who knows? He may not be alive. In Costa Rica, like maybe he did plan this like elaborate escape and hid his money so Carol wouldn't get it in a divorce proceeding. Maybe he did even fake his own death, but it seems like he was involved in some shady business in Costa Rica. So maybe something violent happened to him in that country. And
1: and if he's I'm assuming uh, when he flew to Costa Rica, he left from Florida, right? So what's the time uh, frame, the duration of a flight, like between three and five hours if, he's, if he left from Florida to Costa Rica. So it's not like a six-hour flight or, or I don't know. I honestly don't know how fast a plane that he would be flying goes. But I do know that like a commercial flight, depending on where you're leaving from, is around three to five hours. So the routes can't be that, there, there can't be that many routes to to. Costa Rica from Florida, unless he's going roundabout ways. My long winded point is I wonder how many searches for his plane were actually conducted. And I wonder if he had any sort of emergency radio or beacon or something, some emergency device on the plane in case he hit water.
3: Yeah. If he was like flying without touching base with any kind of like control tower or whatever, he wouldn't have, like nobody would be aware that he was flying his plane. If he if he did uh, take off from Tampa or near Tampa, there's also a lot of ocean and a lot of jungle between Florida and Costa Rica. So, I mean, if he did crash that that plane is probably gone.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a dangerous place to be. I wanted to bring up that possibility that he crashed uh, somewhere in the jungle or in the water. Um, Mm -hmm. There's plenty of jungle and he was landing at like sort of these small airstrips in um, Costa Rica and he's got a history of crashing planes (laughs) like uh, and then go down that scenario for a second peek down that rabbit hole. If he did crash without having told anybody where he was going, like wouldn't an incredible mystery develop? Yeah, like like we've seen.
1: What a great point, Tim, like the mystery that that is the plane, like how do how do we know there, there aren't 100 independent searches that have taken place since Tiger King, just independent investigators who haven't made anything public, that they've gone into areas of the jungle, maybe areas that people have witnessed plane crashes before because that might be a common plane route?
0: Yeah, so it's a it's a pretty wild case. Um, there are a lot of people still actively, I guess, investigating it. You've got Don's family and this uh, civil rights attorney and Ripper Jack still, I guess, trying to look into Carol, which, you know, is sort of, sort of makes a larger point here. Like, um, you know, it's it's tragic. Obviously, family doesn't know what happened to him. Law enforcement thinks he ran away on his own or flew away on his own, it appears. Um, And yet the family thinks uh, something different. Definitely interesting to note how families are dealing with their emotions and fighting through that. And that makes them not great investigators in a lot of cases.
3: This whole story is like a cast of characters, right? It almost seems scripted. It seems unreal that these people exist in the world. And I think because they are so entertaining and these stories are so entertaining, we kind of lose sight of the secondary victims. and. I mean, the victim himself, he's not emerging as a particularly likable character, but I do really feel for his family that he left behind. I, I feel for his ex-wife um, and for his daughters who are missing their father, unfortunately. And I do feel bad for Carol <laughs> in a way. I feel bad that she's um, been the subject of speculation and suspicion for so many years of her life, deserved her otherwise.
0: Just wait till she sends us a cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: I, I got to say,
1: uh, Tim, you brought this to our attention because you were watching season two of Tiger King, and season one, I think, was right, right at the beginning of the pandemic last year, right, like March of 2020, and everyone watched it, and I got caught up in the wave, and then it ended, and I realized how annoyed I was by it. It was, it annoyed me so much that people who are borderline abusing each other not borderline abusing each other abusing animals in it for themselves we're getting all of this attention we're getting all of this like you know accolades and and admiration uh then you have this you know this poor woman who's now the villain of the whole thing but tim you 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 brought me back to it you you, you gotta check out these episodes that focus on don lewis and i feel like those are the most important episodes of the whole saga, the whole character study of of everybody. Uh, I feel like those Don Lewis's disappearance and, and how that relates to everything really is uh, like the catalyst of
0: it all. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting case. I really wanted to have this conversation and sort of focus it around um, the cultural aspect of uh, his disappearance. I mean, we talk about intricacies details about disappearances all the time and this is sort of a different approach um to discussing a case and hopefully it was it was interesting to listen to um i'm I'm definitely in the camp that uh don took off on his own yeah me too
1: and on our next episode we're going to talk about the podcast
2: serial